To the Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. I'm Alex Norton. I'm Jay Nielsen. Yes, and uh, before we get into today's episode, we'll just take a moment to thank our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Gamerco Artisan Supplies, the place to go for your blade steels, forge kits, and burners, and they're offering an awesome deal to our Australian listeners using the code FORGECAST10, all one word. You'll get 10% off your order of gas forge burners and accessories and blacksmith tools. This is a limited time offer that is almost over. So if you've been holding off getting that gear you've been wanting, now's the time. Certain item exclusions apply, so visit www.artisansupplies.com.au for more details. So, um, let's get this started off with you, Alex. What have you been up to this week? I have had a very busy week. I just pumped out a new hairpin, as they're my, uh, my forged hairpins are some of my best sellers, so I thought I'd need to get some of those out. But I've also started a new line of production blades, actually uh, shortish little utility neck knives. So I'm trying to get my consistency down for hand forging them. Uh, also, I've got that new 2x72. Uh, and I really need to get the practice in. So starting a production line of blades is a good way to do that. I've also been working on a set of five showpiece blades, one of which has uh, got a hormone in it. It's actually my first attempt at doing a hormone, and it's uh, quite a bit of work to bring that puppy out, but it's looking really, really nice. I'm quite happy with it. How about you, Sam? Yeah, that, that whole series is uh, looking really good, man. Like You're obviously taking leaps and bounds with your uh, knife design and getting the, yeah. the shapes dialed in. It's great. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, uh, I've been working flat out in the forge as usual. Uh, <laughs> it's been relatively hot over here. The summer is finally hitting um, where I am, so been dealing with that. Uh, made a video doing a, like a two-hour knife challenge. Uh, another YouTuber did a video on uh, making a knife in two hours and... You know, I thought that was a cool idea, but I wanted to take it that next step further and forge an integral guard and <laughs> an harpoon point and make it harder for myself. I uh, didn't quite make it to the end. I had a heat-treated blade. It just wasn't sharpened. It had a handle on it, but, you know, I was pretty happy with the overall result. Um, other than that, I've been working on a couple of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, hammers uh, for sale on my Etsy page. Um, and tooling for some other people. I've also had a commission uh, come through, so I'll be working on that. And I've also got a collaboration that I'm working on for another YouTuber. <laughs> so I've, I've been, you know, kind of every day in the forge at the moment, which has uh, been good fun. But um, before I pass it on to you, Jay, uh, just for our listeners who uh, don't know who you are or uh, haven't heard of you, although I have no idea how they wouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> could you just do a little bit of a rundown, a little bit of background in uh, who you are, where you came from, that kind of thing? Oh uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I started playing around with knives um, in my mid-20s. I started out doing stock removal, um, and then that was when Bill Moran started bringing back the Damascus. That became a big interest to me. And uh, being as stubborn and pig-headed as I am, I didn't want to buy Damascus. I wanted to learn how to make my own. So that's how I got into forging knives. Um, I was at a knife show, at a, a small knife show in a little town called Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. 
And uh, I mean, it was it was rough stuff. I mean, it was files and saw blade knives, and I mean, I had deer skins on my table, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just it was it was just a hobby. I was just playing around. And uh, this gentleman across the way from me, Keith Bagley from Maryland, basically came over to my table, took pity on me, and invited me down to his shop for a couple days. I went down to his shop in Maryland for a weekend. He showed me the basics of forging, the basics of forge welding, and just went from there. And uh, I did uh, my five-year stint being a nice, quiet person, nice citizen. I was doing my ABS testing, and in 2008, I got my master's smith, and I said, hey, I can do whatever I want now. I'm free. (laughs) (laughs) It's me again. No constraints. No constraints. As long as I pay my $6 a month, I'm good. Or $6 a year, so just a but, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, there was a lot of trial and error, a lot of beating my head against the wall. Um, I started playing around with different ideas and different things. Uh, the ball bearing canister Damascus was a big thing for me. You know, it's, it's one of the great things about knife making. I mean, I've been doing this for over 25 years, and I've been doing it probably 15 years as my sole income. And uh, nice to have an idea when you go to sleep at night wake up in the morning and be able to go to the shop and just try it out and see if it works. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, I had that idea for the ball bearing canister and that was my best sell in Damascus for like. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we, we actually, I was talking to um, Niels last week about the same thing as there's no such thing as really failing with it. You either get a successful product or a bunch of lessons out of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You never stop learning and so you get, I talk to people all the time, and they're like, "Oh, wow, you know, how many, how many more things do you think you can try out?" I say, "There's a million things I haven't even tried yet. <laughs> I'm constantly learning." <laughs> it's funny, even on the show, I'm watching people that have only been making knives for two or three years, and I'll watch them, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's never going to work. They're, yeah, they're screwed. That's never going to happen." And then all of a sudden, it works. I'm like, "Wait, whoa! How'd you do that?" <laughs> so it's one of those those crafts that you're constantly learning that's what i like about it you can have some of the craziest ideas in the world and you can actually make them work absolutely anything you put your mind to but um you know that's that's great so you that's how you got started and stuff like that what have you been doing recently like obviously there's forged in fire um i spent the last week watching other people work (laughs) <laughs> yeah well that's the fun I, part actually <laughs> i have to ask um are you just as energetic t- t- uh, testing your own blades as you are on fortune fire actually i get that question a lot and if folks look <clears throat> excuse me if folks look back at my uh facebook page and instagram and stuff like that see i beat the living snot out of my own stuff too we actually do I, I, on the show. We actually do get like a few minutes when they read the rules, talk to the contestants before they start. And uh, the first thing I tell them is don't f up. Which people have actually written that on the wall of the green room. I've said it so many times. And, uh, <laughs> and the other thing is, is like you know, I don't want to break your stuff, but I have no sympathy for you because I do the same thing to mine. And I make yep. I make the test knives for the show for round one and two. So my knives 
have gone through all the tests you've seen on the show and then ones that never made it to the show. I mean, there was times that they said, okay, hey, Jay, pre-test. Take your knife, hack through that chain link fence. What? <laughs> I mean, I, I, there, was, there was one time when we were still shooting in Brooklyn, they had this big, long board, and they had everything from, like, wallet chain to cable, to all kinds of different, different types of chains. And they said, hey, Jay, take your knife and hack through all these. Go through all of them. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, and I'm wailing away on this stuff. And I'm like, I hate you guys. I don't like you. You're not my friends. Like, <laughs> horrible thing to do. <laughs> Terrible. So, yeah, my stuff has gone through um, all of the tests and then some. And I've only, in the whole yeah, I, seven seasons, I've only broken one of my knives. Well, you're so, you're so energetic with the way that you do it that it, it's actually become, uh, I, I kind of use your name as a bit of a verb. When it comes to <laughs> testing knives, oh, you know, to to J, to Jay Nielsen a knife, um, and that, that way you know it's it's been through the rigors. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I think been, I think it's become common colloquialism. Yeah, I, I've been called the Simon Cowell of knife making. That's like I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I don't think so. <laughs> well, it can be. I mean. I, I love. I, I followed your Instagram for a long time uh, since before I even knew about Fortune Fire, um, and like, yeah, I, I love watching the the tests that you put your knife through because you know, realistically, they knives shouldn't have to survive that kind of stuff, but the proof that they can is is you know in the pudding. Um, we're, well, we're very familiar with Jay, but Jay actually doesn't realize yet. Sam is on the path to become a master smith. That's his goal. He's <laughs> he's actually working to, to on that uh, journey. That is that is what he's working to do. So he puts his knives through some pretty hellish testing, and uh, they're very impressive. I, I I'm on the path to journeyman so far. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like your, we'll, your we'll get to, we'll get to master, master eventually. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anything I can do to help, let me know. I appreciate it. I might actually thing. take you up on that. That's, that's fine. The same thing I tell all the contestants that come through. You know, no matter what part, you know, I can help them out at all. That's that's part of what I'm supposed to do is being a master, anyways, to help people out. That's one of the things I like about Forge and Fire. One of the reasons I get involved in it is to spread the knowledge of the craft and. Uh, You've got, I mean, I've got people sending me videos of their kids building forges in the backyard and stuff like that. That's awesome. really kind of cool. I think yeah, it was in great. one of your videos on um, YouTube or Instagram that you said that in the green room of Forge of Fire, you actually have your DVD instructional set there and, and a message <laughs> saying, if you haven't watched this, maybe you should have. <laughs> yeah, I, I took those down because I got some flack for that. <laughs> <laughs> And somebody um, there, were no, there were no DVDs in the cases, but somebody still one of the contestants still stole two of the cases. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're, um, you're quite well known for that series. Uh, how, how's it going? And do you have any plans to expand on it at all? Uh, yeah, we're doing season seven now, and uh, there's wow. there's yeah we did uh, thirty episodes, and then they added ten more onto the back end, which they did last season also. Um, and we're talking about doing, uh, mixing it up, doing a few more extra episodes and mixing things up, kind of changing the format a little bit and, uh, you know, possibly seeing, the maybe seeing some people behind the anvil that you didn't expect to see. 
Right. That's all I'm legally allowed to say. <laughs> yeah, the, the gag order's in place. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, away from Forged and Fire, um, I've I've taken a significant interest in your work with uh, Canister Damascus. Um, I know that for most of the start of my research into Canister Damascus, every time someone's making a canister, they kind of refer to you or they refer to Steve Schwartzer. Um, when it comes to, you know, the ability to remove the canister without having it weld to itself. Um, and I hear a lot of con conflicting kind of information regarding how to best prevent that happening. Uh, Steve recently did a video with uh, Will Stelter on Alex Steele's channel, uh, and he used um, stainless, steel. stainless steel foil, yeah. Yeah. Um, around the billet. And I know that you kind of pioneered the whiteout um, thing. Have you found that that's more effective or have you improved upon that or? Uh, the last time I tried to use stainless steel on a canister, I actually forge welded it. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure how that happened. So that was the last time I tried it. Uh, somebody recently told me you scorched the stainless steel foil and you can use that as well. But um, I, I've just used the whiteout because I'm used to it. A uh, friend of mine, actually, uh, Rob Decker, who was a contestant on Forge of Fire once, uh, he's actually the one, he's he's a brainiac, he's way smart, um, and he told me about this trick, and I'm like, come on, you're kidding, because I was doing canisters and just grinding the canisters off when I first started out, and then I did the whiteout thing, and I tried it, and I was like, holy crap, this actually works, and uh, you can use that, you can use uh, the cheap white spray paint has the same uh, ingredients in it. You can use that as well. Uh, the whiteout I just use because I'm, I'm used to it. Um, right. Some sometimes if it's too humid, uh, the whiteout will crumble and stuff like that. So you know, then I'll switch to the spray paint or something like that. Um, I've also heard that uh, barbecue grill paint works well. I haven't tried it yet, but uh, yeah. Um, Green Green Beetle recently he did a bunch of canister Damascus. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's a YouTuber who does a lot of uh, crazy forging, um, and he found that the whiteout occasionally he was having the the jack the uh, canister weld to the billet. So he started using uh, powdered titanium dioxide in um, like in I think it was in alcohol like denatured alcohol to coat the inside of the, the thing and that he was finding that to be really effective um so i don't know if that's just because i think that's the chemical derivative of what whiteout you contains anyway yep. um i don't even know where i could get that powdered i, I don't know i think you'd have to know a couple of chemists i, I, if I, you think, I, I think i might get a, i might get a red flag on my uh emails if i started looking around for that added to a list uh, the biggest thing about uh, the, using the whiteout is just having some patience. Um, I mean, I'm yeah. sure you guys, the best example I can use is watching people on the show try to do it. Um, <laughs> and, and as a hint, if nobody's figured this out yet, we don't always ask them to take the canister off. <laughs> they just do it on their own. If it was me in a time right. competition, I wouldn't take the can off. I would just go to town on it because you're going to forge off half the canister to begin with and then grind the rest of it off. Why they're taking yeah, the can off half actually, the time, yeah. I don't know. 
But, uh, it's one of those things where when you're a, a viewer sitting at home that actually does bladesmithing on their own, um, you, you tend to scream at the television quite often while you're watching that show. <laughs> it's like, just leave it on. Just leave it on. You've got an hour left. That's the funny thing. I'm, I'm not a big sports guy. I mean, I like watching you know sports every once in a while, but I'm not a, a, a fan. Um, but, yeah, I'll watch yeah. Forge of Fire, especially episodes that I'm not on. And I'll, I'll I'll be screaming at the foot, uh, screaming at the TV like it's a you know Monday night football game or something like that. What the hell do you think you're doing? <laughs> Is it only the contestants that you're screaming at, or sometimes do you say, Ben, Ben, you're not hitting it hard enough? <laughs> oh, I scream at anybody. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, uh, we've had a couple of uh, past Forge and Fire contestants on the show. We had Derek Melton on, um, and uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had Peter Burt. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. They, um, uh, said horrible things about me, I'm sure. They did, yeah. It was nothing but <laughs> nothing but bad things. <laughs> Just throwing them under the bus. It's funny, I, it's funny, I tell the contestants... You know, that, that little bit of time we get to talk to them, I said, oh, by the way... Because you know, to try to lighten the mood. I said, by the way, um, if you look over at the judges' table and you see us laughing, there's only a 25% chance we're laughing at you. <laughs> unless, unless it's round two and then there's a 30 30 yeah, that's what chance. i told them in, in round two it gets exponentially higher <laughs> that's it or is it the monty hall problem where they, they could actually be still laughing about somebody that's been eliminated no, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah it could be it's, it's it's crazy it's uh i remember doing the pilot for the show and i had never met doug or dave um you know, Will wasn't the host on the pilot. It was somebody else. Thank goodness we got rid of him because um, Will's great. But uh, I remember sitting there thinking, you know, I'm to sit here and sit here with these guys I don't know and talk for three hours. What the hell are we going to talk about? And not only was it not a problem finding stuff to talk about, we didn't even sit on our chairs. We kicked our chairs back and we were leaning over like <laughs> we're sitting at the bar on a Saturday night. And we just never stopped talking for three hours. It's like, okay, I guess it's not going to be a problem. But yeah, it's, it's, so you know, yeah, it's good chemistry. Oh, yeah, it, it worked There's out. There's a right. definite natural flow to you well, guys. It, well, it was funny. The first time I met Doug, I was sitting in uh, David Litch's shop in uh, Washington. And. Yeah, I didn't know Doug from Adam. I'm sitting across the table from him, and we're in a shop that's you know, it's like 300 pairs of tongs and two power hammers and you know, all kinds of stuff all over the walls. And, and Doug's sitting there with his phone taking pictures all over the place. And I'm just looking at him, kind of like, what the hell? He looked at me, deadpan. He says, "Hey, I'm Asian. What do you want?" And I just started <laughs> laughing. I was like, "Okay, I can get along with this guy. No problem." <laughs> that so, yeah, sounds Dave, like something Doug, Doug would Will, say. They all got great sense of humor. Yeah, uh, we're, we're hoping to actually get David Baker on the show at some point um, because uh, Sam is a massive historical weapons nerd. So um, I think those two would just be able to fill the hour with just them talking, and, and I can just sit back. Yeah, you can just sit back and relax. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. It. Yeah. So we try and ask every guest that we've had on here to tell us about their main anvil and what the story is, where they got it from, what are the the specs of it, etc. My main anvil? um, Hmm. Your anvil of choice to use. Everyone's got a favorite. I've got got two side by side on the same, what I call a little wooden island, Uh, because one has Mm. rounded corners, one has sharp corners. So I use both, right. so I can so I can just kind of lean over if I'm like knocking in the 
you know, knocking on the choil and knocking on the shoulders or stuff like that. Um, they're mm-hmm. both, you know, like 150-pound anvils, nothing special. Um, my favorite anvil, though, was the one I, my second anvil that I got. Because when I first got into this forging, uh, my ex-father-in-law, uh, he had an anvil in his storeroom, his storage uh, garage. And I told him, I said, oh, yeah, I just got into forging. He was asking me how, how I liked it, how it was, what I did, and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm just looking for a good anvil because at that point in time, I was working with a four-inch block of steel sunk into a five-gallon bucket of sand. And uh, <laughs> oh, wow, he goes, "Oh, hey, yeah, let me show you something." So he takes me out to the garage. He shows me this anvil. It's you know, it's a little Fisher anvil. It's kind of beat up. Uh, you know, hundred, probably 120 pound anvil. And uh, I said, "Yeah, that's not not a bad anvil. That's pretty cool." He goes, "Yeah, it is, isn't it?" And then close the door and walk away. <laughs> that's cruel. And I was like, and, and this was the one guy in the family that liked me. <laughs> so I finally, I finally got an anvil from a friend of a friend at a knife show. Um, and then I, you know, next time I visited him, I told him, I said, "Hey, I got an anvil." He goes, "Oh, you did? You like it?" And I said, "Yeah, it's good. It's got a nice flat face. It's good bounce. Everything's good on it." Oh, great. Well, you might as well take mine because it's no fun ha- having it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these are the people right. that love me. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, I know that one too well. Yeah, that that's my favorite <laughs> anvil story. But uh, yeah, no, I like Evan too. I've got two. Um, they're good size, flat. Like I said, the big thing is the bounce. Now, anybody who's going to look for an anvil, bring a ball bearing with you. Now hold it a hold it a foot above the the anvil. Drop it if it bounces back in your hand. Grab it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where the uh, the term having a nice ring to it comes from. Exactly. Yeah. You're pinky in the background yeah, again. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. She's running past. But uh, your <laughs> your workshop is actually quite incredible. I've seen in a couple of your uh, your videos. And you've got all the fun toys. I've been uh, taking a lot of interest in the videos you've been putting up about the new grinder that you've been playing with. But do you ever go back to sort of primitive tooling to make a blade? You know, just hammer and, and tongs, and and just to challenge yourself and uh, I, I do want to do technology. Yeah, I do on occasion. Uh, I'll just get the urge to just go primitive. Um, uh, uh, again, another funny story. My ex-wife, uh, I was making knives. I mean, when I was starting out, I mean, I was working hard trying to make make this a business because I never intended to, and it, it was a hobby that snowballed out of control. Um, I was making knives and eventually somebody bought one. Somebody's placed an order for one. And after a while I was like, I think I can actually work part time. I was part time, still make a living. And a couple of years later, it's like, I think I can actually do this for a living and stop working for other people. And, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, I was just, you know, you put 10, 12, 14 hours in the shop and then go back in the house and put another two or three hours on the, you know, the knife forums, posting stuff, try to get your name out there and recognize your work and stuff like that. And my ex-wife was like, you know, all you do is knives all the time. You need a hobby. You need to do something to relax, something, something, you know. I said, okay, I'll figure that out. So I made a little charcoal forge with a little hand crank and I was sitting outside my shop on a you know little railroad, <laughs> you know, little piece of railroad rail, 
cranking, cranking, pull the steel out, banging out. She comes out. She goes, "What the hell are you doing?" I said, "You said you wanted me to get a hobby to, you know, relax or something." She goes, "You're still freaking making <laughs> knives." <laughs> well, like, well yeah. geez my last hobby was making knives it became a business I, i'm afraid if i start doing model planes i'll start to run in a model plane business next i don't <laughs> absolutely right, something made me happy give me a break <laughs> that's it and if you do what you do if you love what you do you don't really do work uh, i definitely love what you. I, do. Uh, I definitely love what i do and i'm constantly learning all the time and yeah. Uh, aside from aside from watching other people work all week, um, I do <laughs> I do have a jelly roll uh, mosaic canister Damascus blade I'm working on, and I'm going to hand rub that and etch that today. Be nice. nice to make yeah, knives. I find... make, make, nice to make knives every once in a while because I'm constantly at the table on the show, and I'm like, I just want to leap over and grab that from that person and show them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I can. I imagine the the uh, temptation is quite strong. It's, uh, um, yeah, I've, I've been yelled at because I have a little earbud in my ear while I'm on the show, and you know, the people in the video <laughs> village are talking to me. And there's been a couple times it's like, Jay, sit down, sit down, Jay, Jay, sit down. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm a pet now. <laughs> yeah, bad Jay, down. Oh, there, was one, there, was, there was one time there was a, a contestant that was going to drill holes in their tang and a full tang knife, and they didn't have it locked in a vice, and the edge was Ugh. facing them. And Turns into the helicopter of death. Exactly, mm. and I actually leaped out of my chair, ran down, and slammed the machine off, because I was like, okay, I know I'm supposed to sit in my seat, but I don't want to see somebody get filleted here. And Will, Will, Will's done the same thing, too. Will's run down to stop people from doing stuff, too. They mm. tend to see a bad thing happening because we've probably already done it to ourselves before. So, Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And, in the, and in the home shop, we, we make shortcuts like that, knowing the risks and doing it anyway. Oh, God, yeah. Um, oh, oh, if OSHA was in my shop, they'd flip out. <laughs> that's it i mean you know people people come to my workshop and they kind of they look at what i do and i can't they kind of go oh how can you do that and i'm like oh you know i've done it a lot before and i think i know what i'm doing and i'm willing to take the risk i don't advise that you do what i do <laughs> do as i say not as i do exactly yeah because i mean we get sam and things, i both it. we get certain things they can't do on set like they can't slack grind on top of the belt because they worry right, about the yeah. belt, you know, blade coming loose and coming at people. I do that in my shop every day. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I was doing that. Oh. I was doing that two hours ago. <laughs> As I say, yeah. It's like, oh god, if I was a contestant, they'd be screaming at me like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually funny that we you know should say that because there are a few things that Fortune Fire not necessarily gets wrong, but there's a lot of, there's things that people take away from Forge and Fire that sometimes are misrepresented because of the way the show is laid out. Right. Um, because it's for that, entertainment. Well, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a entertainment primarily and not an educational show, but, um, you know, you do run into the problem of people taking everything that happens on Forge and Fire as being like rote is that, you know, oh, this God. is exactly how things should be done, should be done. Um, and I, I, I have to hasten to, you know, like, I'm like, guys, it, it, they have a time limit and they're trying to make something that meets specific requirements. 
that doesn't make a good knife, you know. <laughs> but, but that's that's why we do the Forge Cast. I mean, it is primarily an educational uh, program, and and uh, a lot of the time we get people emailing in saying, "Oh, I saw this on the show," and you know, "What are your thoughts?" and things like that. So it's there are a lot of people that take that but there's also a lot of people that make knives regularly and they they just love it for the entertainment factor and and getting to like you said earlier getting to scream at the tv going oh my god what are you doing <laughs> it's 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 sports for bladesmiths exactly. it's, it's, i mean I, I can just imagine how difficult it is under all those lights uh trying to actually see the temper colors and and uh or, or the, the the heat and of the uh the four forges going at once all triple burner forges aren't they as well um, it would be very warm in that room, and the the stress of trying to get it done in three hours. Yeah, mistakes are going to get made, but I mean, it's it's all good natured competition, really. Well, it's great because uh, we just I just did an episode, and we've I've seen this in several several episodes um, where like you know one person is just like burning through burning through it, just kicking butt, just doing a great job, and you got yeah. a couple other smiths that are struggling, and the guy that's that's killing it goes over and spends you know 10 minutes explaining to the Love other guys hey this is this is the way you should do it. this the trying trying to help them out you know, it's not a cutthroat yeah. for, for a knife competition I know it's kind of kind of a, a play on words but it's not a cutthroat competition <laughs> yeah. I mean I've seen it several yeah, times um, and I think that's something uh, we've we've covered this on the on the forgecast in in previous episodes but I think that's one thing that kind of pervades uh, our industry, not just bladesmithing, but blacksmithing as well, uh, you know, metalworking in general, is that there are those, you know, bad characters and there are those people who do want to crap on everyone else and, you know, hoard their ideas. But for the majority of the people I've run into have been more than willing to share their knowledge and, you know, they're not... Help one another. You know, they're not stepping on everyone else and kind of fighting in, in amongst ourselves it is a very positive kind of um open generous community. yeah oh yeah um was it uh geez i can't I remember uh dude, there's been a couple there's actually been a couple different episodes several actually where you know you get some smiths that have power tools some smiths that don't and i've mm. noticed a lot of times you know the guys that have power tools in their shop will go over and help the guys that aren't used to them you know, not used to using big blue, or not used not used to putting the lever all the way down on the press to get the actual full compression and stuff like that. And you know, it's a timed competition for ten thousand dollars. That's not the important part yeah. to these guys. The important part is to help each other out, and everybody tries to do the best. Nobody wants to win on a broken blade or on parameters. Parameters that kill. Yeah, it. you know, you, that, you that, that for me always. That always kills me, you know, that when the guys go home on parameters or something like that, because um, it's, it's, it, it's not only, yeah, it's, it's not only sad for the person who, you know, gets kicked out, but for everyone who is against them, you know, that they're, they're, they're not really winning a victory there at that point. They're just kind of, you know, not, lo not losing. Yeah, it's usually <laughs> disappointing for us. I mean, there was an episode, um, I think it was season five. I don't even remember the name of the knife. It was a handle with two blades sticking out either end of it. I think it started with an H. I can't remember all these crazy... There's been so many crazy weapons out there, I can't remember all of them. Um, but <laughs> yeah. they never even tested them because it was supposed to have a recurve to it. And the younger guy only did a curve. One blade went up, one blade went down. It was supposed to have a recurve in it. And, right. you know, he lost by default just because of 
didn't make the right weapon. We hate seeing mm. that kind of stuff. We, you know, we want to see, like I tell, I tell people in the rules, I don't want to break your stuff. You know, if you make, if you make a piece of crap, I'm going to break it. But I don't want to yeah, break yeah. it. We, we, we want, we want these guys and we try to, you know, gear to gear them to, to win, to make a successful piece. Cause we'd rather come down to, cause we've, we've gotten to points before where, you know, we've had two or three great weapons. We actually argue about it for a couple hours in the other judges. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm a little hoarse here. Um, that's right. And we'd rather get to that point. We'd rather be arguing uh, in the production room um, about mm. you know, this and that and little bits and pieces as opposed to you know, somebody self-eliminating or braid blaking or handle breaking or something like that. Uh, we want people to do the best work they can. Now, I know nobody's going to make the best blade in three hours. Challenges we throw at them. And that's that's mm. a given. But just do the best you can. Do your best work. And that's what people focus on. Um, really, it's not about who wins on Forge and Fire. It's them showing what they can do, showing their personality, showing their craft. Uh, and that's what really attracts people. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, the, the show has introduced me to more bladesmiths than being on the forums and uh, all that kind of stuff has because, you know, some of the bladesmiths that come onto the show obviously aren't very active on the forums and on the social media. So it's it's actually, you know, increased the, the you know, general population's knowledge of bladesmiths, but not only them, but people who are already in the community. Um, you know, there's it, it's been really interesting to see a lot of people coming forward that, you know, you hadn't necessarily heard of before uh, and seeing their progression. And like you said yourself, uh, the, the different styles that people bring and different techniques and methods that you may not have thought of even as, a, you know, an ABS master smith, uh, that uh, exposure to that many people with that many different styles has got to be eye-opening. It's, it's pretty impressive, yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, before Forge and Fire, nobody knew, like, hey, I didn't, you know, there's a guy right down the street from me that makes knives. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Like we're just kind of coming so, out of the woodwork now. <clears throat> we're actually kind of um, self-generating our own contestants now because we've had a lot of contestants because we've been yeah. on. Like I said, we're on season seven. We've had people come on like I never started forging until I saw the first season of Forge and Fire, and I started getting into it. And now they're <laughs> contestants on the show, so we're kind of self-generating our own contestants now. Which sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's sometimes it's not because. Sometimes a little more experience would have been better before they came on the show. That way, blades would be flying in my face. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that is a scary part of uh, <laughs> of doing it, going into it, not knowing. Well, you'll see this right. this upcoming season. Uh, I think it started yes, it started yesterday here, uh, the new season, where uh, certain certain blades come flying at me. Now they got me in body armor, so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah it, it, um, i kind of hate it but yeah i'd, I'd like to make it to 51 sa- yeah, safety f- right. safety first yeah <laughs> unless you're in your own shop safety, safety first, first we wouldn't be but, knife makers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. very true <laughs> um it's, but it's funny, uh, i remember kind the, of... the, the very first time that my my wife now um we watched the very first episode uh, we were actually in vacation in Florida, and we're sitting in a hotel room. And we, you know, first episode, 
ever sit there and watch it. And uh, we're watching it for like five, ten minutes, and she looks over me and she goes, do you do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a couple minutes later, she goes, do you do that too? I said, yeah, damn near every day. You really have no idea what I do out there. <laughs> she really has no clue. Thank God she's a nurse, because she's had to, she's had to take care of me a few times. But, uh, yeah, most I, of the time, most people don't realize what we do until they actually oh, no. watch it. And it's like, well, the show has actually terrifying. helped my wife learn the jargon for knife making. I mean, I, I'll tell her, uh, you know, she'll just say, "Oh, you know, what happened today in the forge?" And I'll say, "Oh, you know, I was tr- getting a, getting everything ready for the quench, and then the Ting Fairy visited me." And she's like, "Oh no!" Normally, <laughs> people would say, "What the hell are you talking about?" But because she watches Forge and Fire every episode, she knows all of the terminology that makes discussing what happened in my day really, really easy. <laughs> makes things a lot easier, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can't count the number of times my wife has come home to me having my finger bandaged with some, you know, shop towel and a piece of duct tape. <laughs> yeah, we don't have on-site medics in our forces. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fortunate there. Yeah, she'll, yeah, she'll, come, she'll come home and I'll have, like, paper towel, electrical tape wrapped around my hand. She's like, oh, God, what do I got to fix now? Yeah. <laughs> um, you're you're so, working uh, with, you know, sharp blades, compressed gas temperatures you know I, mean, I don't know how many times i've had students in the shops like um just because it's not red doesn't mean the steel's not hot not, <laughs> touch it, but, you know all, it's it's a plethora of injury availabilities yeah my in in my workshop the rule is assume everything is either sharp hot or poisonous uh until confirmed <laughs> otherwise <laughs> yeah, I, I, I work in a vintage style forge, so it's all solid fuel and, and no electrical tools whatsoever. So it's um, you just you've got to assume that there is red hot charcoal all over the floor because the, <laughs> the amount of times I've had people stroll in there and they've been standing on a coal, and all of a sudden you just see smoke coming out from the rubber under their <laughs> shoe, and you say you, you might want to move. <laughs> You're gonna feel that in about three, two, one. <laughs> So I actually, um, moving I actually away from... can't do shop tours anymore because of the insurance purposes. Because no. <laughs> yeah, because the TV show, the insurance company is like, oh no 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 not anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm glad I don't work for that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, moving away from Forge and Fire for a little bit, um, we've had one other Master Smith on the Forgecast, Kyle Royer. Um, was on a, a previous episode, and I, I didn't. And he's uh, a regular listener as well. He is, yeah. He listens to every episode. Good, good. Um, you know, Kyle's an amazing smith. He, he, he he's a fantastic he smith. A lot of old master smiths off when this kid came along. He just knocked it out <laughs> yeah. of the park. It's like holy cow. <laughs> Yeah, actually, he was one of my main inspirations, given that he and I are exactly the same age, um, you know, watching him do what he does. And now that he's got his YouTube channel, it's been fantastic to kind of watch the process that he goes through. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's been fantastic. But I didn't really cover with him um, the process of uh, becoming an ABS Mastersmith. And um, it's not something that a lot of people are familiar with. It's becoming more commonly known these days. Uh, with you know access to stuff like Fortune Fire and stuff like that, people are doing the investigation. They hear you introduced as ABS Master Smith, Jay Nielsen, and they kind of go, "What the hell does that mean?" Um, made it up, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, just, it's 
you know, so it was written on a napkin in a bar. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I'm not sure. Have you ever served on the panel of judges for um, no. Journeyman or Mastersmiths? No, no, I've never been a judge on one of those. I just went through it. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm one of the ADS black sheep. Um, I, right. I'm not very political and all that kind of stuff. I don't get into that end of it. I just wanted to get... Basically, the main reason I got my Master Smith is because I realized that I might be able to make a living doing this, and having the MS stamp under my belt would make it easier uh, for me to make a living at this. You know, it, it pushed me into right. a, a higher class of collectors, stuff like that. And it was you know, a personal goal at the same time, too. I wanted to see Absolutely. If, I wanted to see if I could actually Pe- hang with the big boys. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I mean, for me, uh, Master Smith. Uh, my goal of of Master Smith is not all all for the uh, the ABS itself, uh, perhaps, but the challenge of meeting the requirements of getting there. You know, like the knowing what is required, um, and being among that pantheon of people who have commit, like gone to that level uh, is is crazy, um, and I, you know, it's something that I aspire to. It's very, um, very stressful. Very stressful. <laughs> actually, I think, I, I, I think Journeyman I'm, was actually more stressful than Mastersmith. I'm chewing my... I, I'm probably chewing my fingernails to my elbow, but, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not even going for my JS test until 2021, so... Um. <laughs> well, the JS, I mean, you can have a couple... You know, there is a little, little give. We'll get with the JS. Yes, you do your performance test first, where you do a monosteel blade, 10 inch blade, no more than 15 inches overall, no more than two inches wide on the blade. Um, cut a one inch rope in half in one swing. I believe it's four inches from the bottom of that freehanging rope. Um, and then you have to chop a two by four, two two by fours in half. You'll be able to shave hair with the spot you're chopping. And then bend the blade 90 degrees or beyond without it breaking. It's allowed to crack third of the way up the blade, but nobody wants that. No. Yeah. No. I, was, I was fortunate enough to, and then after you pass your performance test, you take five blades of different styles, take them to um, the Atlanta Blade Show or Blade Show West or whatever, and get them critiqued uh, by several mastersmiths. Uh, to see whether you pass or fail. And like I said, they do give you a little leeway. Um, when I did my journeyman smith, I was, fortunately I passed it the first time, but I did have a note that I had some fish hooks on my hand rub finish. Right. But, so so they do give you a little leeway in journeyman. Uh, Master Smith, you do the exact same performance test, but with a hidden tang mascus blade. Got to be at least 320 layers. You do the exact same test. And then you present the five blades for judging. Um, but one of them has to be the fluted European Quillian dagger. Oh. And if you guys saw the episode where we did the European dagger, the one that was on display was the one I passed my Master Smith test with. Wow. Because I right. knew the guy who bought it. I got to go back and rewatch <laughs> that. that. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't keep it. <laughs> I sell everything. I don't keep anything. I'm not, I'm not a collector. I'm a maker. I'm, I'm like that. 
But yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew the guy who had it, so I contacted him. I said, "Hey, you want to rent out your dagger for a day?" Uh, that one, the one on the episode was the one I passed my master smith test with. Awesome. That's that's the tough one. That's that's the tricky one for everyone. That's funny. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> it's funny because everybody normally uses either ivory or blackwood, so it's always black and white, black and white. And I'm yeah. I'm just I get it. I'm just stubborn. I want to do something different. So I did mine in desert ironwood burl. Mm. Uh, and that was a pain in the butt because I'm sure you guys know how, how yeah. Desert Ironwood clogs everything and yeah, it's my favorite wood in the world to work with but it's a pain in the butt and uh, yeah, and I, I lucked out I did that fluted handle it was the first time I did Desert Ironwood and it came out good because that tends to be my, mm. my system first time I try something it usually works great and then I screw it up the next three or four yeah. times yeah, and the judges came out and they were like, "How many? How many of those handles did you do?" I'm not gonna tell you. What do you mean you're not gonna tell? <laughs> I said, "I'm not gonna tell you until you tell me whether I passed or not." So, well, yeah, you passed. You passed. We just want to know how many handles you went through. I said that was my first one. They said you suck. <laughs> so I'm not gonna tell you until you tell me whether I passed or not. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, and then the next fluted de- de- desert ironwood handle I screwed up, so that's that's par for the course for me. Fair enough. So, so yeah. with all of all of the different styles of blade that you've made over the years, uh, what's the one that you've always wanted to make but haven't? Ooh. I want to do a. Uh, I haven't done a stainless steel sand uh, my yet. On my mm-hmm. list of things to do, a uh, good friend of mine, Ed Caffrey, another master smith, he helped me out a lot when I was going through working up the ranks and stuff like that. He sent me his recipe on how to do it. I just haven't had the free time to try it yet. Oh, and by the way, you were talking about Hamones. Um, mm. Get some W1 steel. Just edge quench it. You don't need play or anything. You get beautiful Hamone lines. W1, just edge quenching. Uh, the knife I'm carrying. It's funny that the the, the, right the knife that I did was W two. W two is great, but you use the clay on the W two. W one, you don't even need the clay; just edge quench it. Okay. And I've taken, I've made W one choppers and chopped down barn beams. Good steel. Yeah, right. Yeah, W one is fantastic steel. Um, Nick Wheeler actually. Buddy of mine who gets cutoffs from a <clears throat> from a, a metal fab shop. I'll get a every once in a while. I'll I'll send him a note. I say I need some more. I say he sends me a flat rate box full of like six inch, one inch rounds of W one. It's like hey, party! <laughs> Everyone needs a contact like that. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. funny because um, my background's in blacksmithing, not bladesmithing. I've actually only been bladesmithing for maybe around eighteen months now. Um, Sam and I both work full time doing what we do, but Sam is um, leaps and bounds ahead of me. So. I'll be getting very excited about getting a, just my first hormone and he'll be there uh, giving me all the pro tips and, and he's already <laughs> done about 18,000 of them in his day. And I'll, I'll, I was telling him all these revelations I had about for, forging out a kukri um, and for, forging the bevels in a kukri and I, I had this great revelation of how to actually do it because it's such a frustrating thing to do. And I thought that I was finally telling Sam something that he may not have known yet um and no he knew that too he, he, <laughs> he's already miles ahead of me with so many different things because my background's actually in jewelry work rather than uh blades but uh 
you know, if people are ordering blades, I'm going to be making blades. So oh, you're one of those guys. Step up my... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the jewelry, no, jewelry guys no and machinists um, are some of the most meticulous bladesmiths I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been, it's, I've it's, been prog- progressing my skill as fast as I can, and uh, I'm only on about blade 20 at the moment and um, just learning as much as possible. Um, not so much to try and reach any master smith, or I have no, no aspirations for that, but just to be able to make nicer, prettier things. Well, it's funny. I get people every once in a while, I say, oh, you're a blacksmith. No, no, I'm a bladesmith. What do you yeah. mean? I said, no, I make blades. Blacksmith mm. can make anything. I mean, they have a much, much wider range. I have, I have huge respect for blacksmiths because I, I just, I mean, you know, yeah, I've made a couple of hooks here and there and a couple of hinges here and there, but that's not what I do. I just make blades. That's my thing. Um, the range of craft for an actual blacksmith is just incredible. And it's, I always push that because it's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not that broad a craft. I just, I just make knives. Very simple. Most yeah. of the time when I tell people I'm a blacksmith, they go, oh, you shoe horses. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> oh, that's a fairy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I get that so often. It's actually funny because, you know, when I started my YouTube channel, one of the issues I ran into was like, how do I make a video a week by making knives? Because, you know, some knives that I make take three weeks to make. Mm. Um, and so I started practicing a lot of blacksmithing and now, you know, I make hammers to sell and uh, I make tongs and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, I've done a lot more blacksmithing in the last year than um, than I ever intended to do, even though my business name is Samtown's Bladesmith. And so people go, you're a bladesmith. Why are you selling hammers? And I'm like, well, that's where the market led me. <laughs> Hammer is just a really blunt knife, though. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, especially... Especially if you're Jay Nielsen, like, you know, you just swing them both equally as hard. That's, that's what I was going to say. I've treated knives like hammers before. <laughs> that's right. And if they I, perform like a hammer, you know it's good. I, I have seen it. you hitting nails with knives, but uh, usually it's, yeah. it's not to try and drive the nail into something. Oh, God, oh. yeah. That was, one of, that was one of my last... No, that was uh, two seasons ago. That was an x-ray. Yeah, I've had my, ex, my hand yeah. x-rayed twice already this season. Um, for bad handles. Oh, really? Like that, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, I keep I, I I tell folks all the time. I say it's not just the blade. The handle isn't as important as the blade because that's the connection that you know absolutely between the user and the edge. Um, so mm. please don't hurt me. <laughs> I don't want to get hurt anymore. I've already had this hand yeah, rebuilt I, I, once. I really don't want to do it again. I remember it was the this. Scottish Claymore episode uh, where you had to cut through some uh, 12 penny nails um, with the coal forged blades. And I, I remember having to like turn my eyes away from the screen. <laughs> I, I, the, uh, the, coal, the coal forge episodes kill me. Um, I started out with coal and I, I got away from it as soon as possible. I, I switched over to propane just because I, I wanted to spend more time forging, less time maintaining a fire. I mean, no, yeah. no offense to people that are doing coal forges. That's great, whatever you want to do, but it, that wasn't me. my thing. I, I just, I just wanted. I don't even make my lovely sheets. You know, I, I send those out yeah. to get done because I'm, I'm better off just staying, staying in the shop and making knives, uh, production wise. Yeah. I mean, having, I got a five year backlog right now. It's, I'm better off just knocking out the knives as much as I can. Um, 
Well, I, I, I geek out massively whenever there's a coal forge episode because I, I do everything with a, a solid fuel forge and a hand crank blower. I don't even use an electric blower. So you can know every time that you're filming one of those episodes and they do that reveal somewhere <laughs> off on the other side of the planet on a tiny you're little sleepy island. I'm there going, yes! <laughs> well, the part that kills me is that half the time when we do the coal forges, um, we do them outside. Mm. And again, Sitting about in the colors. Sun. You know, the colors. I mean, mm. most of I mean, most of us, we don't have lights on in our shop at all when we're forging. So we can see the colors. Yeah. I know I don't. And I've got great lighting yeah. in my shop, except for that one corner where the forges are. There's no lights at all because I don't, don't have them on. I want to see the colors. And that's, you know, that's one of the things we mentioned to the contestants, too. It's like, look, put your blade under the forge, under a table, under something to look at the colors, because you get TV lighting. That's bright yep. as hell. You're not going to say the color is the same. Whatever you think mm. is a good quenching temperature, good quenching color, knock it back like three times from that. You know, get a, like a good I'm amazed color how few of like the that. contestants actually reach for a magnet. I'm surprised by that, too. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I remember Ray Kirk, who's he's a, a master smith and one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite people in the world. I love Ray. We were at the when I was still going to the, the Blade Show in Atlanta. We had tables next to each other for years, and uh, Ray actually brought magnets for the other contestants. No. He, he, did, he didn't just bring one for himself. He handed them out to the other guys too. <laughs> Honestly, so I, nice. I loved I loved Ray's episode when he finished like twenty minutes early, and we were going to sit around a, having we, a drink. Yeah, we put a box of donuts in front of him. I mean, they edited out. But, I mean, ninety percent of the stuff we do, they edit out. But we we put like a box of donuts in front of him when he asked for a cup of coffee and all that stuff. We're just like, it's Ray. It's okay. Ray's the man. <laughs> I got his, co- uh, yeah. his coffee mug sitting in my sitting in my shop. I got my five minute epoxy tube sitting in it. <laughs> I, just, I just giggle every time I look at it. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, so we're uh, we're we're coming up on the hour now. So I just had uh, one last question for you, Jay. Um, with past guests on the show, like Kyle Royer and Niels Vanderberg, etc., we've had a lot of listeners who aspire to become journeymen or eventually even master smiths, such as yourself. Um, so, if you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, when you're starting out. Visit as many other knife maker shops as you can, um, because I know a lot mm-hmm. of folks. Um, you thought I was going to say buy my DVDs, didn't you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be a good idea too. But I, but I do. I always tell people you know, find as many knife maker shops as you can and visit them. And you know, especially if you can find somebody that you, know, you like their work, you're drawn to their work and see what kind of tooling they have, see what they use. Because I know a lot of folks that start out and, you know, start buying this and buying that, even if, whether it's whether it's inexpensive tools or expensive tools or whatever, and find out, you know, halfway through that they bought a bunch of stuff they didn't need. Mm-hmm. Visit other people's shops, see what they use, see what they their tooling is. Um, you get a better idea of what you actually need to start off with instead of wasting money. Yeah, fair enough. That's how you can get contestants like uh, Ryu Lim, who um, did his <laughs> his final piece in a satellite dish. <laughs> God, he's I, 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 I was never forget that episode. 
Oh, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Ryu actually moved to uh, Pennsylvania, so he's in the same state as me. He's, he's down on the eastern oh, cool. end of the state now. But I, he's not in a satellite dish anymore. But I'm not sure if he has heat in his house or something. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> he's still he's still going very very primitive, from my understanding. But uh, he's a great good on great him craftsman. Great craftsman. Oh, he is. I follow him on Instagram. He just puts out brilliant work and such a good attitude towards the whole thing. Oh, he's a very positive guy. I mean, great guy. Um, It's amazing. We we were talking about something earlier. I meant to to reference this. Um, It doesn't really matter what tools you have, how expensive your tools are, stuff like that. Um, I mean, I remember when I first started out, I had a grizzly grinder. And... uh, there was a couple guys. I was, I was at a small knife <laughs> show in Massachusetts, and there was guys in the aisle, knife makers, and they were like, "Oh, talking about grinders and this and that." And you know, this this grinder was a piece of crap, and this, you know, the grizzly was a piece of crap. And they looked at me, and was like, "Jay, what do you use?" Really? <laughs> and they kind of shut up. It's not a matter of what tools you have; it's getting used to using them. Mm, getting mm. used to the that's one of the things that kicks people's butts on forge and fire too is you're coming to a shop you're not used to using those tools we're all used to using our tools so it's like yeah. going it's it's like if you guys go to each other's shops it's going to be a little weird when you start grinding a blade or something like that because it's not the setup you're used to so it's, it's not so much about the tools the it's how you use them and yeah, i mean yeah. we're all trying to get to the same path we're all trying to get to the same goal we all take different paths at it like watching people on the show or going to hammer ins or stuff and then watching they're like, wow, I never thought about doing it that way. We all got yeah, our little thing, especially, especially a lot of us that are self-taught. Because mm-hmm. we'll come up with ideas that I didn't get taught that. I just figured it out. Well, it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, it works. So that's the important I mean, thing. And that's it. I, I've always tried to say to people, you know, it's it's not stupid if it works. And... You know, just just because someone does something one way does not mean that that's the only way to do it. If you both take an exact, like if you take completely divergent paths, but somehow end up at the same result, then both paths are equally valid. Exactly. Um, you know, you, neither one is better than the other. One may be faster than the other. One may be easier than the other. But you know, at the end of the day, if they both create a usable piece at the end of the day, then it doesn't really matter how you got there. And what's I most important is, did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, that's it. Well, I even say that in my instructional DVDs and downloads. It's like, okay, this is the way I do it. I'm not saying this is the way it has to be done, but this is the way I do it. Let's go. Absolutely. And, and giving those views, giving those opinions is important because, you know, sharing ideas is important because people can develop their own skills knowing how other people do it. Exactly. You know, coming from... Coming from zero, you can develop the skills you need to get somewhere, but having, you know, various people's opinions and various uh, skills passed on to you makes it a lot easier to extrapolate to the next thing. Yeah, and I always tell people, I say, like, find out as much information as you can and filter it down to what works for you. Because, like I said, you know, people have different ways of doing it. Like, say, use the canister Damascus for an example. Some people use whiteout, some people paint, some people use foil, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do, whatever works for you. You figure out, you find out as much information as you can, and then pick and choose what you want to use in your process. Yeah. That's exactly right. 
Well, I think we've passed the hour mark, and um, we're going to have to start saying goodbye to our fair listeners. Uh, I would first like to say thank you so much, Jay, for taking some time out uh, early in the morning to talk to us. Happy to do um, it. Thank you for staying up till midnight to be able to do this. <laughs> well this is the it. sacrifice that we make for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> So if our listeners do want to actually track you down um, and follow you, follow along with what you are doing, could you tell them where they can find you online? Um, mountainhollow.net is my website. Um, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm pretty easy to track down. Just type in Nielsen Knives and I'll come up. Yeah. No or you could watch the next episode of Forge and Fire. <laughs> or you could watch that too. Actually, I missed the episode last night. I have to watch it tomorrow morning now. Uh, fair enough. It's hard if to you want up. to Sometimes find... it's hard to stay up that late. If you uh, want to send in questions for us or uh, simply saying hi or anything like that, uh, you can send us an email at ask.forgecast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at the.forgecast. Um, we post regular updates uh, as to what we're getting up to and, you know, that kind of thing. So please feel free to follow us on there. You can find me, uh, Sam Towns, as Sam Towns Bladesmith. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Patreon, Etsy, The Kitchen Sink, you know the deal. Uh, and you can find Alex at... I go by Valhalla Ironworks and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel or Etsy. Excellent. Well, you'll probably hear the outro music winding up now. So again, I'll say thank you very much, Jay, for coming on. Thank you guys for listening and I hope you have a fantastic week. Great time, guys. I appreciate it.